April 28, 1830. The first baseball night game is played. Spectators say it helps them fall asleep way quicker. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And our guest tonight is one of Denver's best young comics, uh, Katie Bowman, everyone. Hello, it's me. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is new because I can actually see Zach's face. Um, so I'm kind of getting used to that. <laughs> I was like, can we always see his face? <laughs> no, it's he's usually behind behind a veil. Behind a paywall, actually. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a separate Patreon I set up for the podcast only for Brian. Uh, that's basically, if you want to see my face, we record five bucks a month. And I think it's probably going to go up. Um, for for each level, I remove an article of clothing during recording. So ten dollars, uh, I'll take off this uh, heavy scarf that I am wearing during every recording of session. <laughs> and of course, your navy pea coat. Yeah, of that. course. Yeah, um, and it goes up to about five thousand dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, the worth some men put on their own bodies is amazing. <laughs> I know, uh, I was like, I'll take these socks off for a hey, dollar. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, would, I would sell my socks to someone over the internet for like 20 bucks. I'm not gambling on how much I think my body is worth. I'm gambling on how much you think my body is worth. <laughs> you know, I'm always wondering how much you could sell your own underwear for. <laughs> There's apparently a market. I know, like times are hard. Come on, <laughs> let's get on this that's train. What got, that's, that's what built the greatest generation. <laughs> well, they have those. How much? <laughs> um, were you implying that millennials are the greatest generation? Because, I think we are. I did. Yeah. I did get to finish my thought. I was saying millennials yeah. are selling their underwear. <laughs> are millennials killing the new underwear market? <laughs> You're right. No, that... Zach, they're not selling them to wear. You don't understand. They're selling them for other things. Oh, God. Um, anyway. <laughs> I mean, uh, sometimes it's to wear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. Um, what do we do on this thing? Oh, this is a podcast. <laughs> Listen. We've been doing this for two fucking years. Listen, you should know the score, but if you don't. Uh, if you got pulled in by the amazing historical figure, Paul Bullard, um, <laughs> not even close. That's whatever. yeah. I was like, wait, maybe I, I read my name wrong. <laughs> no, I did uh, not. Eugene uh, Bullard and Paul von Hindenburg. You, okay. Eugene Bullard. Right. Because we did Paul Hindenburg last time. Um, mm. We are a podcast that looks at a person or event from uh, the history of this precious little baby blue marble that we call the earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we uh, look at the real story of that person, place or event uh, of that noun. And then after that, we tell a batshit crazy alternate version. And at the end of the episode, we vote on which version we liked more and which will become the history of the world going forward because history is only the story we tell and not what actually occurred. 
That's the theme. Uh-huh. Ask ask any Texas textbook about the Trail of Tears, and you will find it was not that big of a deal. Yeah. Texas, Texas. We just got, we actually just I went started. to school in Texas. Oh, <laughs> Wait, when did you move here? I was like raised, I was born in Philly, raised in Texas, and okay. then like adulted in the beginning, or like did my younger college years in uh, Boulder. Okay. So the three most, three very, very opposite. Oh places. yeah, everything is crazy in my life. I'm constantly second guessing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, anyway, last time, as I alluded to, we covered uh, historical uh, limp namesake, too. Paul von Hindenburg, um, who had a life outside of having blimps named after him, it turned out. <laughs> and um, we decided at the end uh, that uh, rather than just be a dull World War One commander slash German president between the world wars... He instead had the life of Kelly Clarkson and Selena, the one that got shot, and I think OJ. <laughs> he was like, "Is there any other Selena?" Selena Gomez, I think, is the more famous Selena, Selena nowadays. Brian, okay. thank you to our Generation Y listeners who don't know who the fuck old Selena is. Oh boy, that's so true. I never even knew that that could be a thing, but that's a concept. Oh, uh, yeah, and thanks to Zach Welch for giving us that amalgamation of uh, I was gonna celebrity say that tragedy. Like Welch. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> got that Welchian touch. Um, but this episode, we are discussing uh, Eugene Bullard, uh, yep. which I have spent years mispronouncing uh, in a very French way. So, and I've spent minutes pronouncing as Paul Bullard. <laughs> <laughs> we all have we all have histories. Um, yeah, Brian is uh, tasked. With the true story of Mr. Bullard. <clears throat> and Katie's and- going to give us an alternate take. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Correct. Alrighty, so let's start with Brian and the story of Eugene Paul Bullard. Nope. <laughs> the Paul was in quotes. It was okay. not his official middle name, it's a nickname. I bet he couldn't even be bothered to do the first round of air quotes on that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, this is Brian reminding you that The Revisionist is supported by listeners just like you. You can make a pledge and get rewards like shirts and even the right to vote over at patreon.com slash therevisionists. Well, Eugene, uh, who later changed his middle name to Jacques Bullard, uh, by the way, before I forget, I sourced a lot of this from uh, PBS, American Experience, and the Georgia Encyclopedia. Um... Oh, are we supposed to do citations now? Because I have done that never. I've only remembered to do it twice. So, fuck it. Most of it's been Wikipedia, <laughs> so who gives a shit? So, uh, Eugene Bullard was born in Columbus, Georgia in 1895. The seventh child of Josephine and William Bullard, uh, who lived in a three-room house. Uh, and Ooh, That's up. three to a room. This episode is brought to you by Math, and we're now partnered with Sesame Street. <laughs> Just the, the delight in your voice when you figured that out. Um, so, uh, according to his uh, autobiography, uh, he says his parents did their best to sort of insulate him from Georgia. But they made a fatal mistake when they had seven children. Yeah. Uh, I should say, uh, uh, Eugene Bullard is 
the first known black military pilot. Oh, okay. Um, which is actually what it said on his business card. Um, <laughs> business cards. <laughs> which he had that, but In he World also had the, the humility to put known on there, <laughs> which I think is an interesting, an interesting mix. Um, but he describes himself as a child as, quote, as trusting as a chickadee and as friendly. Uh, and that he loved everybody and thought everybody loved me. Uh, thought. That thought is telling. Yes. <laughs> also, <laughs> not overrating. Georgia is a part yeah. of his story. That's that's fair. Yeah. I, do, I like his humility with the known and the thought. Like, mm-hmm. he's not assuming that yeah. he's... He assumes <laughs> nothing. Takes nothing for granted. <laughs> um, so when he was um, math... Years. When he was eight, um, his father got into a fight with a racist white supervisor at his job, and his father narrowly escaped being lynched. Um, oh. And this sort of broke that isolation they tried to keep him under. So in 1906, at age 11, he, I think, ru- he runs away from home. I think if you're talking about a white supervisor in Georgia in 1906, yeah. you don't have to say that they're <laughs> that, racist. That's true. We know. Fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he runs away from home at age 11, and uh, he meets up with a group of English Romani uh, traveling horse people. Uh, not like centaurs. Like, uh, they just had horse. They had, like, race horses. Um and so he kind of teams up with them and he learns to like ride horses and race what? them and care for them. Specifically, they had race horses? Yeah. Or just <laughs> horses that learned how to race. I don't know. I don't know how horses work. Did, did they have like, did they have like race horse names? Like, like daddy's pickled thunder or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I have no sources on that, but I'm going to stick with the phrase Daddy's pickled thunder, uh, <laughs> which I in- find enjoyable and upsetting at the same time. Um, so he traveled with uh, the Romani, uh, and he they played up the lack of color-based racism in Europe, which is ironic for the Romani. Um, <laughs> um, and so he Eugene became determined to go to Europe. So in 1912, at age 16, he stowed away on a German ship going from Virginia to Hanover. And uh, he got off the boat in Scotland and immediately found acceptance that he didn't find in the United States. Um, And uh, he made his way down to England and he worked uh, various jobs. He was a street performer, a dock worker, a fishmonger a target for an amusement park game, and a boxer. (laughs) 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 I don't know what game. I assume it's like a dunk tank. I was picturing that. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I hope it's not that spinning, like, knife thrower one. Yeah. That's not an amusement park game, is it? I mean, it's a game for the knife thrower, if they're a sociopath. (laughs) Um, So... It's, uh, it's his career in boxing that takes him down to uh, down old France way. He hits France up. Um, 
and he falls in love with Paris. Uh, he actually goes back and rewrites his biography to emphasize his father's French roots. Uh, his father, his grandfather had fled Haiti um, during, uh, like, after the revolution there. Uh, I believe I had the generation show on that. Anyway, um, so he he loves France. He's all in with France. Uh, and then World War One starts, and he's, like, 19 years old, loves his country. Um, and so in the fervor of nationalism, he joins the French Foreign Legion. Uh, and he uh, he's wounded at the Battle of Verdun uh, while he's running a message. And he's eventually awarded the uh, Croix de Guerre, which is a... I'm going to mispronounce a lot of French in this shit. Um, but he's and I am not going to have the ability to call you on any of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is why we need Marcel back. Um, so he's trans- since he's wounded, he's transferred... I like to think that Marcel was in the first 50 episodes, but was a mime. Yeah, no, he's been here the whole time, but <laughs> yeah. we had to cut him loose because of overhead. And he, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we literally, I mean... We literally used a guillotine. <laughs> There's a lot of horrible things. At his request, at his request. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how the French do. Um, so he's transferred out of ground combat, but he meets up with this one dude uh, who got him a gig as an aircraft gunner in the French Air Force. Um, and while he's there, he learned about uh, what was called the Lafayette Escadrille, which was... Oof, that sounded wrong coming out. Uh, an American squadron of fighter pilots serving in the French army. Wow. Um, the, the Lafayette squadron, their mascot, fun fact, was just two lion cubs that they had. <laughs> um, and the lion cubs were named Whiskey and Soda. Um, because <laughs> this is 1916. Um, <laughs> they probably try to drink it and they're like, you want this? <laughs> yeah, little, little saucers of whiskey and soap. <laughs> they're like, you get some. <laughs> it went through so many lion cubs. I feel like there's like, gotta be like a Disney live action movie about those lion cubs getting back to the squadron after a fight or something. That was the original Jumbo, but they were like, it's too dark. <laughs> Too dark, dark, not racist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, Bullard asked uh, at this point to train as a pilot and he he gets his license seven months later, becoming, as was said, the first known uh, black military pilot. Uh, The squadron he was part of in the uh, Foreign Legion was called... uh, whatever it is in French, it translates to the Swallows of Death. Oh, yeah. Um, And this is how he got his lifelong nickname, the Black Swallow of Death, Um, which not... I mean, yeah. (laughs) Kind of a mouthful to start off with. Pun not intended, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... This, uh, this achievement uh, was not really reported in America at all. The only mention of it was in uh, like a small little bit in the NAACP journal called The Crisis. 
Uh, but then America enters the war, and Bullard still has this attachment to the U.S., and he applies to become an American pilot. Uh, and despite the fact that he's flown over 20 missions with, uh, from what I read, two unconfirmed kills, um, he his application is rejected, um, basically, ostensibly for other, like, medical reasons, I think, but because he is black. Um, so, right after this, he is ordered out of combat by the French army after a conflict with a uh, racist French officer. Oh, that's a nice <laughs> twist on the old, on the old uh, formula. Yeah, uh, turns out they were kind of learning it from the Americans, because when the Americans arrived, they brought segregationist attitudes. So, again, going back to our math equation, uh, in 1906, 1906 plus racist white foreman equals run out of town. Mm-hmm. But 1919 plus racist French uh, commander equals kicked out of military. Yep. Um, I... <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the constant <laughs> is racism in that. Mm. Yeah. Um, Solve for racism. Know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was this, uh, this famous memo um, issued by the French army that was written by the Americans and the French sort of issued it under duress that said, uh, and quoting, um, quote, Although a citizen of the United States, the black man is regarded by the white American as an inferior being. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, later on, quote, we cannot deal with them on the same plane as with the white American officers without deeply wounding the whites, Um, which actually kind of hits, (laughs) hits it on the head with how racism works. Whoa. Yeah. A lot of the time. Um, Definitely. Uh, so, after the war, uh, Bullard's wounds uh, meant he was entitled to become a French citizen, uh, which is, like, a very cool and French thing, I feel like. <laughs> um, and so he moves to Paris permanently um, and becomes a nightclub owner. Um, and, like, this is Paris in the 20s. Uh, Josephine Baker babysat for him. Um, Langston Hughes washed dishes at his nightclub. Um, he knew Louis Armstrong and like Sidney Bichette and all of these people. Um, then when, uh, when the Nazis take power in Germany, Bullard becomes a spy for the French government against the Nazis, uh, because the Nazis believed black people couldn't speak German. Um, (laughs) which... Honestly, I should have called that they would believe that, but I, I didn't. Mean, I can't speak German. <laughs> I feel like it's it's true for a lot of people of a yeah. lot of different yeah. backgrounds and races and genders and creeds. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he uh, he's wounded again defending the city of Orléans uh, from the Nazi invasion. Uh, and he flees France to Spain as the Nazis invade. And then from Spain, he goes to New York City. Um, and from there, he again starts on a series of odd jobs. Uh, he worked as a perfume salesman, a security guard, 
an interpreter for Louis Armstrong. Um, and he tried to get his nightclub back uh, in Paris, but it had been destroyed during the war. Um, another incident, he was at a Paul Robeson concert um, when sort of racist and anti-communist factions of the veterans of foreign wars in the American Legion attacked the concert. Uh, and he was one of the people beaten by them. Um, and so his final job he worked uh, was an elevator operator. Uh, and he worked that job until he died of stomach cancer in 1961. Uh, which, if that was all to his story, like that sort of rise and fall would be depressing. I mean, it is. But um, in 1954, though, the French sort of never forgot him in a way. In 1954, he was one of three men uh, chosen to light the uh, everlasting flame at France's Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So like right under right under the Arc de Triomphe. Um, 1959, he received the Legion of Honor from Charles de Gaulle, who uh, called Bullard a true French hero. Uh, Legion of Honor being the highest decoration anyone in France can receive. Uh, he has like over 15 medals from from the French. Uh, and then, you know, 1959, after he was awarded the Legion of Honor, uh, he gets an interview on the Today Show, um, <laughs> which like he's wearing like his elevator operator uniform and all of his medals uh, in it. Um, but like after after the interview, he starts people notice him and he starts receiving hundreds of letters basically up until the day he dies. Um, and then in 1994, uh, 77 years to the day after being rejected by the U.S. Army, uh, the United States Air Force posthumously made him a second lieutenant. Uh, and that's the story of Eugene Bullard. Wow. A lot of up and down in that. Um, so many wounds. He did a lot of shit, though. Um, but... Yeah. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to go out on maybe the more uplifting parts of his story. It's 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 difficult for me not when you say up and down and uplifting not to say something about the elevator, but I also feel like that's not a very <laughs> that's the improper tone to take. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just as I would agree. <laughs> when you said New York City, I had to restrain myself from saying as I always do. Yeah. New York City. I had to do the same thing. <laughs> so we are none of us. Per- po buddies nerfect on the revisionist. That's our motto. <laughs> uh-huh. Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. Okay, so this is stuff that you didn't know that he also did after World War II. Um, so he returned to New York City and he had this bad back going on. Mm-hmm. And um, he was still able to do all these jobs. And there was, like, so many jobs that some of these slipped through the cracks. Like, 
Um, he was a um, perfume salesman that actually sold undercover bear spray to hookers. Uh, <laughs> and um, like for undercover <laughs> bears, or like the 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 spray itself yeah. is kept undercover. I believe, you know, back then it was really hard to be a hooker, so, like, bear spray was just a little bit better than pepper spray. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> when he, I, I heard undercover bears, and I just pictured a bear in a floppy hat and a trench yeah. coat. You had to, we had to determine if this attracted bears was for bears, bears or was anti-bears. <laughs> um, and they were like, this part is just too hot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means in context. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking of that bear story. Or it was Goldilocks that did that. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, then he was also a security guard for, like, all these jazz musicians that helped hookers secretly work in safe environments um, <laughs> in the 1920s. And, uh, <laughs> so, it seems like he was very invested in the welfare of sex workers in the 19. 19- 50s yes, and, 60s. and then like it was actually like really progressive, but no one knows that because they shut it all down. Um, so um, he was really helping ladies sell sex and pay off college without anyone knowing. Uh, <laughs> and um, the jazz musicians would bring all these people to the bars and get them all jazzed and juiced up, and then um, get them all jazzed, <laughs> like literally just play jazz music for them. Is that what that is? <laughs> and then no, the bullard would come in and he would pretend to be a jazz man himself. You know, like he would just have like under undercover tambourine. Um, <laughs> And then he would be like, look at those ladies over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I ever release a jazz album, which is 85% sure to happen, it's going to be called Undercover Tambourine. I'm just picturing you, again, in a really bulky coat, shaking something underneath it. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, wait. They're like, where is it coming from? Under the tables? Yeah. That's... Either it is now undercover tambourine just is code for like a long coated streaker for me. <laughs> yes. Um, and then he would like start pointing out the ladies to all the guys that were all juiced up in the jazz bar. And um, one by one, they would just take off into the night armed with condoms and bear spray. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Bullard. My second album, of course, will be called Condoms and Bear Spray. <laughs> Okay, um, (laughs) where was I? Okay, spray. Um, So, Bullard even rigged the street lights to make a rose signal in the sky. And whenever a lady would be hurt, he would, like, sense it, you know? (laughs) And then he would come fly his secret jet plane to save them. Um, Because he just built one in New York City and kept it, like, low-key in the the rafters of the buildings. (laughs) I was partially laughing at Secret Jet Plane and partially laughing because I think you hit yourself in the face with the microphone. I keep keep doing that. Um, This little thing's just not lashed on. I know. Okay. It's okay. Um, And then um, he was really only making, like, 15% um, because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the time, women were getting paid less than they do now. So he was a gentleman, unlike most men in the jazz scene back then. Um, or should I say jizz scene? Uh, <laughs> and of course, that gets your Kennedy Center performance. I don't know what it says about me that when you said jizz scene, instead of thinking, oh, sex workers, I thought of the fake 
type of music from Star Wars that's called jizz? <laughs> I, for, I forgot. What is jizz music? I don't think I know. <laughs> the Moss Eisley song, the do 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 See, Disney, what's up with all the cum and dicks with Disney? <laughs> I feel like George Lucas in the 1970s was the was square enough to not know the term jizz. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like, when do you think jizz, the word jizz came out? It <laughs> came out. <laughs> yeah. I remember the red carpet for jizz. <laughs> The skies were dark for all the stars were there. <laughs> Definitely before Room Raiders, probably, ah! right? <laughs> I remember watching that and being like, what are we looking for? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Why is this person bleeding so much? <laughs> There's so much Ben and Jerry's all over this room. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, so of course some of the worst people were on to the whole pilot flying in the night game and they gunned him down. Oh god. No. <laughs> god, I can't believe I wrote that. I forgot what I I just wrote this all in one I just chunk. Um briefly have to say that I am angry for myself for saying red carpet for jizz instead of white carpet for jizz, which is obviously what it would have been. See, I, yeah. I was thinking I was so thankful you had not said white carpet. That. <laughs> oh goodness um so the ladies of the night were already at the hospital when he like arrived with all these more wounds that he acquired and they made so much money that they were able to just get him like a brand new metal spine <laughs> oh, shit. is he oh. doc ock now <laughs> he was kind of a low-key tony starkish figure with the jet yeah. <laughs> um, and then this was during the time that the IRS like actually cared about where his taxes were going. So <laughs> they, it was a smaller world, you know. Uh, <laughs> so they slowly caught on to the gals. Um, all the hookers on duty were punished and sentenced to normal day jobs. Uh, for the ladies, it's usually like being a nanny or a florist, you know, mm-hmm. in the 1920s. And then... Um, it looks like America just wasn't ready for a safe version of prostitution. <laughs> and Thankfully, everyone, that's all changed today. And yeah. Everyone went back to their own lives. Uh, Bullard made sure to spend days strolling by all the nurseries and floral shops on his corner and paid the gals a good look, tipped them off nicely. Um, and it was a bittersweet reality that they accepted. The world was just a little too fast for so many honors for one guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Katie, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I just, I love, I, for some reason, just the little stinger at the end got me. (laughs) Um, So, uh, before we before we get into the judgment phase, uh, take care of a little house cleaning business. We're uh, we're part of the Denver Podcast Network, something I keep forgetting to plug. And we just welcomed a whole bunch of new shows to that network, including uh, Denver Orbit, 
which is uh, a show featuring like stories and music and performances from different people. And uh, that actually just won Best of Denver uh, a few weeks ago. So congrats to them. Uh, Motherfucker in the Cape, which is a show about uh, geek culture, uh, focusing on geek culture as seen through the eyes of uh, people from marginalized groups. Uh, One More Shot, which is people's uh, reinvention stories. And Voice of Montbello, which is actually produced by the students of Montbello High School, talking about issues in their community. And it, it, that's a really cool podcast. I, <laughs> I don't encourage them to listen to this, in case you were wondering. Um, mainly because of all the jizz talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> they know. They know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, look. I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, Room Raiders I'm... was like 15 years ago. <laughs> Over the in terms of the period of my life in which there was the most chiz, <laughs> high school might be number one with a bullet. <laughs> Why does everyone smell so bad? <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Um, listeners, we also ask that. Uh, you temporarily wipe wipe your memory and review this podcast on your uh, podcast service of choice. Um, and write uh, a written review would be yes. uh, even better. Yeah. You could write write whatever you want. Write undercover tambourine. Write anything. <laughs> write uh, daddy's pickled thunder. What was it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, daddy's pickled thunder. I'm. In retrospect, I'm not surprised we started there and got to the fucking jizz parade. Yeah. Uh, always, we always do, and we should. St- we, we need to stop. It's becoming a crutch. I know it's so hard honest. to turn this boat around, though. Uh, also, you can uh, visit revisionistpodcast.com to uh, leave us a comment, ask us a question, and find us on the social meds: uh, Facebook. Well, don't say that though. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Instagram, yo. So she means. <laughs> yeah. That, it sounds like another form of jazz. <laughs> so if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's what George Lucas should have called Sorry, the guys. Star Wars music. <laughs> yes. Anything other than what he did. Um, <laughs> um, sorry. I keep getting, losing track. But Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Um. And Katie, uh, you host uh, Kickback Comedy, right? Do you want to tell us about that real quick? <laughs> yeah, I host a monthly show at Call to Arms Brewing Company up in the highlands of Denver. Um, and it's every second Wednesdays at 8 p.m. It's a showcase. And um, we're actually going to be putting up a end-of-the-month show for new material called Study Hall that oh, nice. my partner in crime, Brad Galley, will be hosting. So we'll have two things. Oh, awesome. And it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. both totally. at Call to Arms. Yeah, so all at Call to Arms bi-weekly shows now on Wednesdays. Hell yeah. Uh, Zach, you co-host Stage of Fools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this will be a final. We're getting into the home stretch of probably the final season of E's terrible show, The Royals, that we decided to cover for reasons I do not remember. <laughs> um <laughs> The, well, because it was a trash, it was E's first scripted show, and like something a, I don't know, a trashy adaptation of, of Hamlet. <laughs> right, I don't know. We had our reasons; they've been long <laughs> forgotten. Uh, as has any thread of consistency or plot within the show. Uh, the monarch recently dissolved Parliament just by saying 
I'm dissolving parliament and nobody cared. Everybody was fine with it. So that's where we're at in the um, show. Okay. Um, and that's with friend of the show, Shannon Camp. That's right. Yeah. Um, as for me, uh, May 9th, hey, I'll be doing the uh, first round of the New Faces contest at Comedy Works in yeah. Denver. Uh, there's a lot of really good people uh, on my round, including the uh, aforementioned Brad Galley. Oh, yes. Um, friend of the show. Uh, so come check that out. And uh, May 16th, actually, I'll be up in uh, New York City. Uh, New York City? There we go. <laughs> um, uh, I will definitely be performing at uh, Barely Making It at Creek and Cave in uh, Long Island City. Uh, I'm trying to set up other things. Uh, Long Island City? <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> work as... I mean, accurate, yes, but it doesn't work as well. Sorry uh, sorry to our Queens listeners. Uh, <laughs> We all know Staten Island is actually the worst. Um, but I'll be uh, putting together more shows for my time there. So stay uh, stay tuned to my social media bullshit for that. Social meads. Uh, social meads? Um, <laughs> anyway, Zach, uh, judgment falls to you this episode. You know, well, yeah, uh, when it comes to, you know, sort of inspirational historical figures who aren't just the worst people. Um, one aspect of it is you don't want to denigrate their legacy or their memory. And what's always advantageous is when the alternate history, instead of removing any of their accomplishments, just adds a new chapter heretofore <laughs> unknown and advocates to make up for uh, all of our very lowbrow sophomoric humor advocates for something that's a little bit more of a recent development, a little bit more enlightened in the modern age, which is the safety and welfare of sex workers and their rights. Um, so, as a result of those two factors, I think this time I am going to vote for the alternate history, which retains yeah. the legacy of Mr. <laughs> Bullard and adds his campaign for the, for the well-being of sex workers way back in the 1950s. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Um, listeners, voting is now open on the Patreon if you uh, bought your right to vote. Um, so you can go ahead and do that. But I think that'll do it for this episode. Uh, for everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers, the other person here at The Revisionists. <laughs> <laughs> Marcel, I mean... There's Marcel. His There's head a... is still here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of our mascot. Its eyes follow me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have a good time. <laughs>